That's an older video, but you can kind of see just the, the passion that they have for God's word. When, when they received the word of God for the very first time, many of them broke out into tears. Can you imagine being a Christian and never owning a Bible? I can't even imagine what that would be like. 88% of all Americans own at least one copy of the Bible. On average, each individual owns 3.6 copies of the Bible. You and I are very blessed people. This um, week, I went through um, my office as well as my study at home just trying to figure out how many Bibles do I own. In my office, I have 18 different Bibles. Now, several of those I have that are brand new that I give to individuals that don't have a Bible, but many of those Bibles I've collected over the years. Many of those are study Bibles, resource Bibles that I turn to around um, my study and house. I found... a. Um, 10 different Bibles, and I know that there are several other Bibles that I couldn't find um, that are in boxes or in um, drawers or whatever the case might be, some other old Bibles that I have. Those were the physical Bibles that I own. But every time I open up my computer or turn my computer on, I have access to thousands of Bibles. Every time I turn on my smartphone or my iPad or you turn on your Kindle or your smart device, you have access to the Bible, don't you? The number one Bible app is this app that is called the YouVersion app. It has been downloaded onto close to 210 different devices. This app has been, is available in 1,228 Versions. It's been translated, the, the Bible that's available on this app, into 895 translated languages. It's simply mind-blowing when you think about it. But here's the reality. We have so far to go when it comes to putting God's Word into the hands of every single person on planet Earth. At this moment in time, there are 1,859 people groups that still do not have the Bible available to them in their native language. There are 2,195 people groups that only have a portion of the Bible translated in their language. That means that there are 4,095 people groups that have limited access or no access to God's Word Word on planet earth today. You and I have an enormous responsibility to help put the word of God into the hands of people. Millions of people still around this world do not have God's word. But you and I, you know what? We have about 3.6 copies that we own. Some of us have many more Bibles than that. Some of us don't have quite that many Bibles. Can you imagine if those 1,859 people groups received the word of God in their language for the first time, you know what would happen? We would see all over this world people bursting in tears like this um, house church in China did. 
This morning, as we continue our Believe series and look at the Bible, God's holy word, my prayer is that we see God's word in a whole new life today, a way that we have never seen it before. Know this, this morning's sermon is not an apologetic sermon. I am not standing before you this morning seeking to defend God's word. Just like I said week one when we looked at God within this sermon series, I will not be defending God's word, nor will I be defending God during this sermon or this series because the Bible does not need defending. The Bible does not defend the existence of God. God's word is true, and knowing that God's word is true, we know that in Genesis 1-1, that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There is no question about it. The writer of Genesis did not say, if there is a God, then he must have created the earth. He does not leave creation to our imagination. He makes it definitively clear that God created the heavens and the earth. That's what we said week one, and that is exactly what we are saying this morning. Church, faith family, men and women, students that are in this room this morning, God's word does not need our defending. God's word is doing just fine on its own, isn't it? God's word is doing just fine on its own. This word, this holy word, this inspired word of God, it was penned by some 40 different authors and make up, makes up 66 books. This book is a story of God's redemptive plan for mankind. Even though it was written by 40 different authors over um, a period of 1,600 years, there's nothing within God's word that is not true. And our message point this morning is this. The word of God is more than just ink on a page. Okay? The word of God is more than just ink on a page. If you get nothing out of this sermon this morning, I pray that you get this. That the word of God is more than just ink on a page. It is breath on a, pl- on a page. God's word is breath on on a page. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Timothy 3. We're going to be looking at verses 10 through 17. Our focal verse will be verses 16 and 17, but I want us to read all of these pages. If you don't have a Bible, please take the Bible out of the pew rack that is in front of you and turn to 2 Timothy. It's in the New Testament, 2 Timothy 3, verses 10 through 17. Here's what I want to do. I want to pause just for a second here. You know, because of the smart um, phone or smart tablets, the physical word of God is not open like it once was. Today, for many, instead of opening up our Bibles, we turn on our Bibles, don't we? The Bible is God's word. It is breathed out by God. So regardless of the means by which you access it, it is still the breath of God. Okay? So know that. I'm not, if you brought a phone and that's your source of the Bible or a smart tablet, it's still breath on a page. Okay? For me, there's just something about opening up the physical word of God. I love the physical word of God. I love being able to flip through my Bible and see all of the different things that I have underlined. I love the fact that pages are ripped, scotch tape is in it, pages are bent over. Man, this is my sword. This is my, um, 
my life. Now, I still um, read the Bible on my smart device, but, but this is my sword. Man, I love God's Word, and I pray that you do as well. I believe the Bi- a Bible that is well used is a life that is well lived. If you have your Bibles, once again, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 through 17. This is what it says. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me in Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from, the, from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Verse 16 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Remember, the Bible is not just ink on a page. Point number one this morning is the Bible is breathed out by God. As the scripture we just read is all scripture is breathed out by God. From the very beginning of time, we see the effects of God's breath, don't we? When he spoke, when he opened up his mouth and he excelled, excelled audible words from his mouth Everything over a six-day period burst into existence, didn't it? In Genesis 1, verses 1 through 13, or 1 through 3, we read, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, audibly, he spoke, Let there be light, and there was light. On the sixth day, God created man. He formed man, according to Scripture, from the dust of the ground. He formed him, and he sculpted him just like a potter takes a lump of clay and places it on the potter's wheel and shapes that clay into a work of art, into a masterpiece. That is exactly what God did whenever he took that dust from the ground. He molded and shaped Adam into a masterpiece. Here's the deal, though. Adam did not first come alive until what happened? God breathed life into him. We read in second, or in Genesis 2-7, it says, Then the Lord God made or formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. When, when God breathes, life begins. God's word was breathed out. Knowing this, we know that God's word is so much more than just ink on a page. If it was just ink on a page, you know what you and I could do with just ink on a page? We can manipulate it. 
We could alter it. We could change it. And we could make God's word say what we want God's word to say. And that's exactly what Thomas Jefferson did, our third president of the United States, the author of, of the Declaration of Independence. What Thomas Jefferson did is he took a knife to God's word and he cut out all of the parts of the gospel that he liked. And he put the gospel in chronological order. And he read that morning and evening. That which he liked made his Bible. That which he did not like remained in on his bookshelf, I assume. That is a real problem, faith family. We cannot manipulate God's word to say what we want God's word to say. For Thomas Jefferson, he left entire chapters and verses out of his Bible. In fact, he left all of Luke chapter 1 out of his Bible. And Luke chapter 1 is a pretty significant chapter, isn't it? That's where we get the, the Christmas story. That's where we read about the virgin birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That is what separates Christianity from every other religion in this world. And Thomas Jefferson left it out. He also removed all the miracles from his Bible. So there was no account of the feeding of the 5,000, the healing of the lame. There was no um, healing of the blind or the deaf. You know what happened with um, Lazarus in Thomas Jefferson's Bible? Lazarus remained in the tomb where he, he, he just rotted away. Thomas Jefferson removed anything that he perceived as contrary to reason. Anything that could not be explained was removed from his Bible. What a tragedy, tragedy that is. You know how Thomas Jefferson's Bible concludes? It concludes with Jesus being laid in the tomb and that stone being rolled in front of Jesus' grave. That was it. That was the end, according to Thomas Jefferson. But for you and I, we know that that's not the end, right? If the Bible ended with the tomb, the stone being rolled in front of the tomb, then life and the death of Jesus Christ would have been for nothing. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most important event in all of human history. His resurrection gives irrefutable evidence that Jesus is who he claimed to be. He is the Son of God. If it had not been for the resurrection of Jesus then you and I would have no hope that one day we too as believers in Jesus Christ will be resurrected with Jesus on the last days. Most of us in this room this morning are appalled by what Thomas Jefferson did, aren't we? And we're blown away. Some of you have never heard before that Thomas Jefferson actually had his own version of the Bible How could any man deface God's holy word by cutting out entire chapters and sections and making it say exactly what he wanted it to say? Here's a reality. All of us have a little Thomas Jefferson in us, don't we? We all make a conscious effort every single day what passes of scripture we're going to live up under. For those that we choose to live up under, then we live obediently. But every single day, you and I make also a conscious effort that we are not going to live up under the authority of certain sections within God's word. 
The Bible is so much more than just ink on a page that can be manipulated and changed or marked out by man. The word of God is God's very breath. And it, was not, it will not fade away. Just as it has stood throughout all of history's past, we have this promise in scripture that it will continue to stand forever. Isaiah 48 says this, The grass withers, the flowers fade. But the word of God will stand forever. Man can try to manipulate God's word, but God's word will stand forever. So the Bible is not only breathed out, the Bible is also profitable. Once again, 2 Timothy three sixteen through 17 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The word profitable means that it is useful, that it is helpful, that it is a word that means advantageous. God's word is not punishing. Despite what you may think, despite what the world outside the walls of this church might think, God's word is not punishing. It is not restricting. It is not narrowing. It is not a book full of do's and don'ts. God's word is profitable. And everything that comes out of the word of God increases It does not decrease. Everything in God's word increases and makes us better people. It makes us better husbands and better wives. It makes us better children and better students. It makes us better employees and employers. It makes us more like the Lord Jesus Christ. God's word increases who we are. It does not decrease who we are. Second Timothy, a little background here, was written by the apostle Paul to his disciple Timothy. Paul wrote this book and throughout the pages of second Timothy, we see him encouraging young Timothy. He tells him not to be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He tells him to take that which he has learned from him, from God's word, and to put it into practice. He calls Timothy to a life of righteousness. It's exactly what Paul also called us to. A life of righteousness, a life of godliness, a life of purity, a life of holiness. And he tells young Timothy to preach the word of God. Every single one of us in this room need a Paul in our life. We need somebody that's going to breathe over us the truth of God's word and encourage us and disciple us and equip us. As Paul said, the greatest thing that's happening right now in China is men and women and students are being discipled. You know who they are being discipled by? They're being discipled by a Paul. So all of us need a Paul in our life. I have a Paul in our in my life that I meet with every single Monday. And this man stretches me, encourages me, and he critiques my preaching and tells me, hey, this was good, this was bad, we need to work here and we need to get better in this area. And I am so grateful for this man taking time to invest in me. And I also have individuals that I am investing in as well. 
You need a Paul in your, I mean a, a, a Timothy in your life that you can invest in. And you need a Paul that can invest in you. Paul is writing, writing to Timothy from a prison in Rome. And his days are quickly coming to an end. And he's making that very, very clear to young Timothy. He is telling him that my time with you is quickly coming to an end. But I want you to take God's word. And I want you to teach it. I want you to take that which you have learned from me, and I want you to teach it to other people. So he's saying, so take that which you have learned from me. Take the living word that has been breathed out by God. And he tells him first, he tells him four things. The first thing he says is teach it. God's word, I want you to know right now, okay, despite what popular opinion might tell us, God's word does not change. Culture might change. The laws of the land might change. Popular opinion may change, but God's word does not change. God's word will and does stand. Okay? It does not change at all. Paul is telling Timothy to teach the word just like you and I live during a day when God's word is not accurately and correctly being taught from the pulpits across this land and across this world. The same thing was happening during the days of Timothy and Paul. You and I are to teach the word truthfully. We are to teach it accurately. We are to teach all of God's word in its entirety. We cannot take the approach like so many pastors are doing. And they're taking a little bit from here. They're taking a little bit from here. And in order to give you a warm fuzzy, they're preaching to you. That's not what we've been called to do as believers in Jesus Christ. We've been called to teach God's word in its entirety. So Paul tells Timothy to teach the word. And he also tells him that scripture is profitable for reproof. Well, what does this word reproof mean? It means this, rebuke. Okay, sometimes within God's word, we need to be rebuked by God's word, right? Um, it may occur from a pastor that's standing before you. There are days when I will stand before you and I'm going to rebuke um, you because if you're living a life that contradicts God's word, then God's word is going to speak for itself and it's going to convict you, isn't it? So there are times when you need to be rebuked by a brother or sister in Christ or allow God's word just to simply rebuke you. You know, I, I, I think I've shared this before, but I'm going to share it again. I'll never forget um, whenever I was a sophomore or a junior in high school. Um, one of the, uh, as a football player, one of the things that defensive linemen had the privilege to do is to work with the sleds. And if you've ever played football, then you know what that is like. I had a coach that was an amazing man of God. His name was Coach Ard favorite teacher, favorite coach that I ever had. He loved Jesus with all of his heart. He loved coaching. He loved um, encouraging and teaching students to follow after the Lord. It was an amazing day that we lived in then, and coaches could actually do that. Um, and he taught us not only how to be better people, but also how to be better Christians. And one of the things that Coach R liked to do is he liked to tinker with things. Some of you like to tinker with things. And so Coach R took this perfectly good sled, and he altered it. 
He took off the top half of that sled and he dropped the bottom of it to where it touched the ground. And what he wanted us to do as defensive linemen is he wanted us to get real low to the ground. I'm not going to do that now because I probably wouldn't be able to get up. Um, He had us get real low to the ground and he wanted us to take that sled and to pick it up by thrusting our hips underneath us, picking that sled up, separating from that sled and looking to the right and to the left to identify where the ball was. He said, if you could conquer this sled, then you can conquer any offensive lineman that's on the other side of that line. And so what um, he had us do is he had us get on the ground, and work with that sled. I was a tall kid, okay? I had a real hard time with this sled. I tried this thing over and over and over. Coach Ard yelled at me, yelled at me, and yelled at me. Finally, I said, Coach, I can't do it. Worst mistake of my life. Okay, I kid you not. Coach Ard grabbed me by the face mask, and he began to rebuke me. Okay? Not only did he rebuke me, but he made it clear to everyone that was around me that we don't say the word I can't on his football field. Coach Ard rebuked me. Does that mean that Coach Ard didn't love me? No, Coach Ard loved me. Man, Coach Ard, um, man, he wanted the very best for me. And he knew that the very best for me was never saying the word I can't. You know what happened after he yelled at me and embarrassed me in front of all of my play, um, football um, team? I got down on that ground and I conquered that sled. There are times in our lives when we are going to be rebuked by somebody that loves us dearly. They're not rebuking us because, they, because they, they, they're trying to um, make us feel about this tall. They're rebuking us because they love us and because God's word um, instructs us to emulate Jesus and not to emulate the things of this world. God's breathed out word can show us our failures, our shortcomings, our mistakes, and lead us to wholeness. Philippians 4.13, and I learned that verse quickly after this instance with Coach Yard, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Can't shouldn't be a part of our vocabulary. We need to know that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. So scripture is not only profitable for teaching and reproof, but is also profitable for correcting. None of us like to be corrected, do we? Nothing fun about a parent correcting us or an employer correcting us or a teacher correcting us or a, um, a Paul or a Timothy correcting us. Simply put, you and I do not like to be corrected. You remember how a few moments ago I said that everything that comes out of the word increases, it does not decrease. Correction is not intended as something negative. God does not correct us by sending us to our rooms. He corrects us by showing us a better way, by showing us his way. God's word is not a word that is full of do's and don'ts. Know that right now. Okay, so often as believers or unbelievers, people think that God's word is full of things that I cannot do. It's not full of do's and don'ts, okay? God's word is living 
and active. It increases. It does not decrease. John 10.10, Jesus said this. He said, the devil, the thief, comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But he said, I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. Man, what part of an abundant life is, 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 is decreasing? Nothing. Jesus said, Whoever, uh, in John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes unto the Father except through me. God's word is profitable. In all aspects of God's word is profitable. It leads us to eternal life, and it leads us to a full life as believers in Jesus Christ. The fourth thing here is Scripture is profitable for training in righteousness. When a person lives a righteous life, they are living a life that is in right standing with God. Every single one of us that are believers in Jesus Christ have been called to righteousness, have been called to live our lives in right standing with God. That's what the breath on a page does for us. It instructs us to live righteously. It motivates us to be more like Jesus Christ. Every single day, you and I must make a commitment that we're going to live a righteous life, that we're going to live a life that is right standing with God. Because here's the reality. This is the only time in human history that you and I get to be a part of God's redemptive plan. You know, um, Joni Erickson Tata, many of you know who she is. She um, is a quadriplegic. She became a quadriplegic as a result of a swimming accident that she was in where she dove into the shallow end um, of a pool or the lake, and she broke her neck at a young age. So despite that, Joni Erickson Tata has gone on to be a prolific writer prolific speaker. She's a painter, and she loves Jesus Christ with all of her heart. She was once asked, how do you keep leading and serving and creating despite your obvious physical challenges? And Joni Erickson said this, this is the only time in human history when I get to fight for God. This is the only part of my eternal story when I am actually in the battle. Once I die, I'll be in celebration mode in a glorified body in a whole different set of circumstances. But this is my limited window of opportunity and I'm going to fight the good fight for all I'm worth. This is the only time that you and I are part of the eternal fight. The only time that we are going to be able to breathe life on planet earth. The only time that we're going to be a part of God's redemptive story. So we need to be fighters. We need to be individuals that live lives that are righteous so that the unrighteous, so that the lost that we come in contact with on a daily basis can be Um, can see Jesus in us. Let's live a righteous life. Let's not waste this life. Let's not neglect God's word because it is more than just ink on a page. It is more than just breath on a page. It is profitable. And the final thing this morning is the Bible is living and active. We read in In um, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, it says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the divisions of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. God's word is living and active. This very Bible that I hold in my hand this morning, this is a living 
active, organic thing. Okay? It is more than just ink on a page that you and I can manipulate to say what we want it to say. God's word acts as God himself. His word exposes our thoughts. Here's the good thing. It exposes our good things. Here's the bad thing. It also exposes our bad thoughts. So it exposes our good thoughts and our bad thoughts. There is nothing that is hidden from God. God's word also exposes our intentions, our good intentions and our bad intentions. Nothing is hidden from the side of God. We also see in the pages of scripture that God's word is sharper than any two-edged sword. God's word reaches into the innermost parts of our beings innermost parts of our beings. And I want you to know right now that there is no heart that is too tough and there is no soul that is too dark to be radically transformed by the Lord Jesus Christ. All of us in this room can be radically transformed by God's word. God's word, it exposes our sin. So if you're in this room this morning, and you have never entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ, then God's word exposes our sins. It reveals to us that we are all sinners. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. God's word exposes our sin. God's word also convicts us of our sin. God's word reveals to us that the result of our sin, if we do not repent of that sins and, and turn our life over to Jesus Christ and make him the Lord and Savior of our lives or ask him to be the Lord and Savior of our lives. And scripture is clear that we will spend eternity separated from God. So God's word, it convicts us of our sins. God's word drives us to our knees. God's word reveals to us that the only hope we have is Jesus Christ. So God's word exposes our sins, convicts us of our sins, and God's word also provides correction from our sins. God's word shows us how we are to live our lives. All throughout God's word, we see how we are to live our lives. All throughout God's word, we see and we understand how we can be men and women and students that live a righteous life. In Psalm 119, verse 105, God's word says this, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. God's word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. My prayer for each and every one of us in this room this morning, at the conclusion of this sermon, that we will cherish God's word more. That we will understand that God's word is more than just ink on a page. It is the very breath of God. I pray that you will cherish God's word. I really pray that that we will make a more conscious effort to pull out our physical Bibles and to work our way through them. Because I think that there's just something special about holding God's word in our hand. Now, I'm not knocking the fact that you can turn on your Bible on your smart device. But for me, there's just something different about being able to flip through God's word and feel with my tangible hands this breath on a page, this living, active organism. It is a life. It is living. We read in Isaiah 55, 11, So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the things for which I sent it out. God's word will accomplish its purpose. 
God's purpose, number one, is that you come to know him as his personal Lord, as your personal Lord and Savior. So if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you don't know where you'd spend eternity if you were to die today, I want you to know right now, God's purpose for your life is that you would know him. Okay, that is God's purpose for your life. That is why you were created. That's why I was created, so that I could know God. There's no other thing that is more important that happens um, in all of human history within your life than you coming to a personal saving knowledge and entering into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So God's word leads us to salvation. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ, I want to invite you this morning to come to know Christ as your Lord and Savior. So God's word does lead us to salvation. You know what God's word also does? It, it, it leads us to be more like him. Last week, I challenged each and every one of us to, um, to take the belief cards that were in the bulletin or to use your, your, um, your bulletin itself and indicate somebody that you're praying for their salvation for. On here, I've got the initials of the person that I am praying for. Um, and I pray that you are praying for someone else as well. It may be 10 people that you're praying for praying that God will give you opportunities to share the good news of Jesus Christ with them. As we conclude our time this morning, if you don't know Jesus, let me invite you this morning to come to know Christ, to invite him to be the Lord and Savior of your life. You may be here this morning, you've been visiting this church a while, and the Lord said, hey, today is the day that we're going to join. We invite you to come to be a part of this faith family. God's doing some amazing things here. Excited to see what God is going to do in the coming weeks, months, and years as a faith family when we partner with guys like Paul Lou and we take the gospel of Jesus Christ to places like China. So if you need to, uh, this morning, join this church, we invite you to do that. You may need to come and kneel here at the altar this morning. I don't know what decision you need to make, but you come. Let's stand together, and I want to lead us in a time of prayer. Father God, we come before you now, Lord Jesus, just thanking you for the word, your word. Father, thanking you that it is so much more than ink on a page. I think so often, Lord Jesus, um, that, that we approach your word as if it was just ink on a page. But, Father, your word is so much more than ink on a page. It is breath on a page. Your word, the Holy Bible, it is, it is living and it is active, Father. It changes who we are. It takes the loss and it draws them unto salvation. It takes the wayward and draws them home. It takes the, the person that is, is living a, a, a aimless life or a purposeless life and it reveals to them exactly what their purpose in life is. And so, Lord Jesus, as we come to this time of invitation, if there is someone here this morning that is yet to receive you as their Lord and Savior, they have yet to repent of their sins. They have yet to cry out to you to be their Lord and Savior. I pray right now that they will do that during this time of invitation, Lord Jesus. I also pray, Father, that if there is someone in this room, Lord Jesus, that that has been living their life wayward, they have been living their life aimlessly, Lord Jesus. I pray that right now, Lord Jesus, you'll reveal to each and every one exactly what their purpose in life is. 
Father, because that's what your word does. It reveals to us our purpose. And Lord, I know that one of our purposes is to make you known. And so, Lord Jesus, just impress within our hearts how we can do that very thing and who we need to make the good news of Jesus Christ known to. And Lord Jesus, I pray now, Father, that there's someone here that are a family individual that's been visiting this church for a while. Lord, I pray that today will be the day that you draw them to be a part of this faith family. Lord, move now during this time of invitation. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.